I'm going to tell you this. If you want to be happy, be metric driven. If you want to scale a business, be data driven. Right? But being data driven is not a condition that that creates happiness. It's not fun. Hello, everyone. This is Ellen, the producer of The Black Line Between Sales and Marketing with Doug Davidoff, CEO of Imagine Business Development and Mike Donnelly, CEO of Seven Cents. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Black Line Podcast. We are broadcasting live from Severna Park in Severna Park, Maryland in Arlington, Virginia, where uh, we actually recorded two episodes back to back. So before we get to the main topic of today, I do want to point out when we were last uh, when we were last talking, Mike, you said something about uh, the caps choking consistently and not getting through because I, I believe they were down three games to two. And, and if they I'm were. not and if I'm not mistaken, um, one of us still had faith, and uh, the caps are in the cup. They are in the cup, but there's seven games to go or maybe four games to go. So we'll see where they hey, – we'll, we'll see where they – hey, man, I, I, trust me, I, I want nothing better, you know, okay. nothing more than for them to win. But okay. Caps win the cup, Nats win the World Series, D.C. becomes title town. Yep. D.C. becomes title town. I saw somebody – uh, the Then we just need the Ravens to win the Super Bowl again. Ravens can. Um, I saw I saw somebody that uh, that tweeted after the Caps won the Stanley Cup Finals this year will have one of the um, I uh, I forget what it was but not not sin but one of you know one of the dirtiest towns in the world the other one will be Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought that was uh, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Mike. Uh, you're a little angry today. I am. No, nah, I wouldn't say angry. I'm salty. a little bit fired little salty. up. Salty. Yes. You're definitely salty. Yes. Because you What's know what today? today. So today is May 24th. Tomorrow is the deadline for uh, GDPR. Oh, I thought it was today was the day that the Caps were officially in the cup. Well, that well, no, that happened yesterday. Okay. Because the game didn't go past midnight, so. Well, I guess it depends on what part of the but what part of the world you're in. Exactly, and me being a forward thinker. Yes, but anyways, there's all this hysteria going on. My inbox is getting flooded with, "Hey, if you don't click this button right here, we're never going to send you an email again." The good thing is people are probably opting out like crazy. People are marking shit as spam. Uh, people are cleaning up their lists. I, I'm I'm sure. I mean, no, like, do you actually have to click on, like, if you don't click Some on something? Some emails that I'm getting, people are, and again, it's just so misinformed, See? where See? they say, if you do not click on this, we will never send you another email. If you don't explicitly click on this. So isn't that good that people take marketing advice from me? And I don't even know that that's what, because here's what I can tell you. I can tell you two things now that make me unique. All right. The first is I have never been in a Walmart. Yeah, interesting. In my entire life, I have never been in a Walmart. 
And apparently the second thing is I have never opened an email that had GDPR in its subject line. So I had no idea what the uh, emails were actually saying. I, I had heard that, that, that there was this thing that you had to like physically opt in. And I know that's part of the, I do know that's part of the regulation for, for all you trolls out there. Um, and I thought to myself, but the, but the question is, is, but, but see, I think that's where people are, are a bit misinformed. Again, I don't have a law degree, but you did stay at a Holiday Express you, last night. You, yes, I did. Um, but do you have to explicitly click on an email that says I 100%, you know, so how are you ever going to, how are you ever going to reach out to another business again? In Europe? Yes. So actually, actually, so hold on. What I how, was going to say. How can you cold email somebody in Europe? You can't. No, you, for a business, you can, as long as it's a legitimate and there is reasoning why you're reaching out to them. Hold on. Hold on. You hold absolutely on. can. So we're getting totally off topic of what you're going to talk, what, what I thought we were going to talk about today, but that, that's yeah. fine. What I was going to say is I, I had heard that you couldn't, um, you know, that, that you had to opt in. And I thought to myself, huh, it'll be cool to see how many fewer emails I get next week. Cause I think you're <laughs> not going to click. I'm not opening up any of the emails. And um, if it really mattered, you know, that, that kind of tells you about the state of email marketing. Yeah. Um, so when I, so, so as I understand the regulation and, and this is really good. We're having this conversation on a podcast that won't even go up until like 10 days after GDPR fully goes into effect. So we'll be really good. This is, this is the latest news for you, but as, as I understand it, um, you have to, like you do not have to get somebody to opt in right now. So long as you have um, documented proof that they have opted in proactively within the no, last year. you 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 also from if you have a legitimate business reason so are you talking about a one-to-one email or are you talking about a one to a, a, a one-to-one email right but that's not what you're opting in or out for this is this is in in europe i cannot send you a a mass email i can't do an email blast right right well, well correct that's what all this is about is well, just that, on, that email. well that again there there, there are some I think there's a lot, not some, there's a lot of misinformation about that um, that's out there. Because th there's even, hey, well, we're tracking people with cookies. Can we track them with opens and clicks, you know, from, from a market? Does that, mean, does that mean that Sesame Street has to, like, fully disclose? Yeah. Cookie. <laughs> yeah. So... Again, I, I just think it's I love it when you're so, many, that, I love that it when so you're many people are misinformed. And look, as business owners, we all deal with regulations. We should make this a Facebook and live broadcast. There's, there's, some, there's some risk associated with everything that we do in business. And GDPR is just another regulation that's out there. And everybody thinks, oh, well, if I, if I violate it, I'm going to be fined $22 million. Well, no, yeah, there's all these, ass, yeah, there's all these million assholes, there's all these asshole trolls that are out there that are going to make people's lives, they're going to, they're going to make some people's lives difficult. There's, there's no doubt about that. But there are, so if, as long as you're not being an asshole marketer, there's no reason that one, you're even going to get 
called out. But two, they don't immediately find you. They send you a warning. You have been reported on based on this. Then if you do not correct your policies and you get another complaint, so, so what are you angry potentially, about? You know what I'm, I, I'm not even angry. I just, what are you salty it, about? It, You're angry. It, it, You're angry. It, okay. it, no, it goes into You're a little bit of this. Relax. Tell me, how does this it make It goes you? into a little bit of all of this talk around people being completely data driven and, um, you know, just how misinformed so much of the data that people, that people have. For example, why am I living in the United States getting all of this email from people in Europe from, you know, that I've opted in to receive their email from people in the United States? Why am I getting GDPR? I live in the United States. I don't have, you know, those companies can spam the shit out of me if they want. So is, is, is the state of our data so bad that we don't even know where people reside? Well, yes. And, and uh, like, if and you go, that's a, how can you be data driven if you don't even know where somebody resides? Like, hold on, we're, can, we're that's talking about basic segmentation. Hold on. We were, I can't remember if we were talking about the email that you got from lax.com before or after we started recording. So <laughs> <laughs> that was before. Okay. Um, but you know, a lot of the, a lot of your business and consumer stuff, literally all you're doing, you're subscribing to it with just an email address. They yeah, don't that's business to consumer, but B2B. Yeah. But, but a lot of, a and lot even of in the, even in the, even in the B2C world, well, you subscribe you, to my blog. Some, when you buy something. Yeah. But when you, but what if you haven't bought anything? Well, you can still, you, you can still work off of IP address information, which isn't all that. It, I mean, I, I for, for, but, for the record, like if you can subscribe to our blog, I mean, it is interesting. You can subscribe to our blog with just an email address. I mean, you could just have gmail.com and I wouldn't know. I, I, I don't yeah. know who you are. Um, and as a business, that is a, re a risk that you need to consider. Like we were talking internally today, like, we, you know what, we should probably just require that you, you sign up with a business address uh, for any of our stuff. And if, if, if you're not willing to give a business address, how, how interested are you? Um, well, you're opening up a whole bunch of cans for me today. No, I know, I know. I, I, I know what your thoughts are around that, like why that's why that's not a good idea, et cetera. But again, to me, it, it's just it was an eye-opening day again. How? Non so you're angry that your that your inbox is filled with a bunch of useless communication. Yeah. And you being an email it's guy. More and more, yeah. It's just it, it, again, it's just more and more. So crap. So is a 4.5% click-through rate, is that good or bad? <laughs> uh, it's good if you have 100% open rate. Yeah, if you have 100% open rate. Man, we could just make this a show about me bringing up email scenarios that, that would cause you to get <laughs> that would be um That would be interesting. Um, so, so and again, well, I mean, the big thing about GDPR, which when I look at it is at the end of the day, marketer, in a lot of instances, marketers have caused this problem. Caused hey, the problem Alan, of GDPR being what it is today, being, being an actual regulation. So, hey, Ellen, producer Ellen, are you there? I'm here. 
Alrighty. So um, when we do the show notes, let's just make sure that we, that we share with people that what are we at? Like 11 minutes or something right now? 12-ish. Yeah. 12-ish. So let's just say like, if you want a really entertaining conversation about GDPR, listen to the first 12 minutes. If you want to get to data driven, start about at about 12 minutes. (laughs) There you go. All right. I'm done. <laughs> you throw out data driven, so let's talk about being data driven, which I think right. is what you're getting out that this this is a um this is a symptom of a lack of good data sets. Yep. Okay. Now, and you know me and, and good and good practices once you have those good this is like, data sets. This is like the they, we're like in reverse. We're playing reverse roles today. Aren't I the one that usually gets all heated up about um about the stuff that goes on in sales and marketing and you're the nice calm, calming influence that eggs me on. Um, um, yeah. So, so, you know, I mean, how, you know, data driven, that's, that's how you get me started. Uh, I, data driven is cool. Now I like the days when data wasn't cool. It was so yeah. much better. Cause then, then like you could really do it. You could kind of do it in the solitude. Now everyone's running around going, Oh, I'm data driven or I'm data driven AF. That's my favorite. Data-driven AF. Um, like, really? Seriously? T-shirt idea. But I'm like, hey, I'm, all, I'm fine with namaste, motherfucker. Um, but, but data-driven AF, I don't, I don't, like, really, do you need, like, the AF means that, well, that guy's just data-driven, but, like, what does that mean? Sorry. Um, so, I, I, I mean, A, I think a lot of people get, get data-driven totally screwed up. Um, because I think there's being data driven. I think there's being goals or metrics driven. And then I think that there's data sets. So some of what you're talking about with the whole GDPR thing is yes, there's data driven aspects to it of, of why are we doing this? Is this the smart thing to do? Is this the right thing to do? But then there's the other aspect of data sets, which is really about your database um, about is, you know, is the data clean? Is that accurate? Is it up to date? Is it comprehensive? Is it segmented? Um, things like that. To me, that's not being data driven. That's database, database integrity. But, but because it has the word data, but because people are so like, because people are so not data driven and learned that if you tell people that you are data driven, that the people go, Oh, wow, that's great that they don't even realize that when they're talking about databases, just because it has the word data in it, doesn't mean that it's, it's the same thing. Right. Um, I, I'm, you know, it's, it's funny. Cause that, you know, um, I think that that's part of the problem. So let, let, let's talk about being, what does it mean to you to be data driven? Well, no, I, I would love to turn the tide on that and on that question and ask you first. Do you ever watch baseball? No, never. I didn't think so. Um, so you watch baseball, of course. Um, uh, obviously, yeah. And, and, and I, if you want to understand what being data-driven is, it's, it's watching baseball, hell, I mean, you could probably say five years ago, but certainly even 10 years ago, certainly 10 years ago, um, and Lord knows 20 years ago, and, and watching baseball today. And, and, and the most obvious place that you'll see what being data-driven is, um, is to watch how they field. Yep. Right? And, and uh, it, it, it's somewhere there, Ellen, if you remind me, I'll try to find the numbers 
so we can put it in the show notes. But but they showed so so defensively, what has become extraordinarily common is what's called defensive shifts. Um, yep. For those of you that don't know baseball, you typically have three outfielders, left field, right field, center field, and then you have four infielders, two on the left side of second base, two on the right side of center of, of second base, typically relatively evenly spread under the idea of you're going to cover the most ground to try to field the ball. Now, 10 years ago, we talked about shifts, and that meant the shortstop edged towards the base as opposed to being, you know, directly in the normal position. Now – I, I saw a shift recently that literally had all four infielders. Yes. You know, like the fourth infielder time. was at second base. Everyone was on the right side of second base. Um, and every now and then you do that and, and the, the batter hits the ball to the left side of the infield. Nobody's there. And people go, Oh, see, this is so stupid. I can't believe it. You see, you got to know the game's played a certain way, but, but what data driven is, and, and it, you know, it's funny because if you listen to broadcasts, I'm a huge fan of FP Sant'Angelo. And FP desperately wants to understand data-driven. He still doesn't like it because it still goes against kind of that, that athleticism insider club. You got you to gotta play the game to know the game. You, you hear him talking about that when he, you know, he both supports yeah. and analytics. But, but basically what happened was, among other things, is, is a bunch of non-baseball players started really looking at the data, started looking at, you know, let, let's look at where this person hits baseballs, you know, consistently and continually and goes, wait a second, you know, um, X percent of the time when they hit the ball on the ground, it goes over here. When they hit the ball in the air, it's over here. And, and then what became occasional, I think David Ortiz was the one that began, you know, the defense of David Ortiz began to popularize it. And now it's just commonplace um, is, is you see these huge shifts that, that when you watch the game, especially if you know the game, it looks wrong. It's totally counterintuitive to everything you know about the game. And yep. And, and, and people for years, by the way, the eye test people for years said, this is what's wrong with the game. This is what's wrong with data. You know, they're looking at this, but they don't understand. Uh, my, My favorite was the complaint that, well, they might be right about probabilities, but what they're not accounting for is what happens to the pitcher's psyche when a ball gets hit to where a player where a fielder would normally be, but because of this shift, they're not there. So what would have typically been an out is not an out because we made this shift. They're not accounting for that psyche. So while that might be true from a probability standpoint, um, it still ends up having a negative effect on the defense, except that batting averages consistently went down. Um, Batting averages on ground balls, especially went down. And now, you know, what are, what's the offense doing? By the way, this is data-driven, right? This is what being data-driven is. Now, as batting averages and batting average of balls in play, and batting averages on ground balls are going down, more and more time is being spent on things like launch angle, swing planes, realizing the, you know, the probability of getting a hit now when you hit a ground ball has dropped to the point that it's worth – risking hitting fly balls because if you get a hit on a fly ball, it's a double, triple, a home run. Oftentimes if you get a hit on a ground ball, it's typically singles. Um, And having grown up in the game, having coached the game, um, we used to say, look, I'd rather you hit a ground ball than a fly ball because there's, you know, there's a higher likelihood of of something going wrong on the defense. If you hit a ground ball, whereas if you hit a fly ball, it, it, you know, it's a fly ball. And, and so these are, these are all situations of where, 
you you've pursued things and I, and I could go into trite things like how the Oakland A's selected, you know, the whole, the whole concept of money ball, et cetera. But, but those are two examples of where the, the use of data and the use of, of advanced analytics. So this is more than just looking at, at averages and, and, you know, and, and simple things, you know, it, it's, it's visual, it's heat maps, it's, it's locations, it's charting things um, along with probabilities and stuff like that. Kind of like heat maps on your website and, and visitor metrics and these metrics and those metrics. And, and, you start taking action in relation to what the data is telling you, even when what the data is telling you doesn't feel like what your eyes are telling you. Right now you don't just do it blindly, right? Cause you continue to watch the data. When, when I think about data driven, when I think about being data driven, I think about, um, I, I think a lot about science. Um, and there was a great tweet. There's a, um, if, if you'd like advanced thinking about problems and stuff, follow the Twitter account of Richard Feynman, who for full disclosure is no longer alive. Um, so obviously someone is running the Twitter account. It's Prof Feynman, F-E-Y-N-M-A-N. Really, really interesting stuff uh, that, that, that comes from this. And it's basically tweets from the physicist, the late physicist, Richard Feynman. Um, and one of the things, one, one, one of the recent tweets that, that really caught my eye, it's actually the pin tweet on, on the account right now is, it's imperative in science to doubt. It is absolutely necessary for progress in science to have uncertainty as a fundamental part of your inner nature. To make progress in understanding, we must remain modest and allow that we do not know. Um, another tweet talks about how um, there's, you know, there's no such thing as certainty if you're a scientist, right there, you know, science is not, this is a fact science is, this is a fact based on what we know today. Right. Part of the scientific method is let us continually test what we know to be true to find out if it's not true. So even though we know certain things are true, we still doubt them. That's what being data driven is, right? Data driven is, is a, is not, Humans are typically deterministic, good, bad, right, or wrong. Data-driven is about being probabilistic, right? I used to be a little bit of a better salesperson than I am today. I know that's probably hard for you to believe, Mike, because you think better than you are today? Is that Oh, yeah, yeah. I used to be able to deliver a pitch with certainty. We will generate 10 sales a month for you or whatever, right? Yep. I can't do that anymore. It is like, I, I'm actually in a situation where we got a great client. Uh, I mean, everything's right there. And literally all I need to do to close the business, and, and this is going to be a bigger chance. All I need to do to close the business is tell them that this will produce X. And, and what I know is I can say that and once we get into it, we'll learn certain things. At the end of the day, they're not going to make the decisions not going to be based on, on that. It's, you know, whether they stay with us or not is going to be based on other things. We'll learn, you know, there, there's all, all of these aspects. And literally, you know, the old school salesperson in me is just saying, Doug, just go ahead and tell them. I mean, that's what you're going to be shooting for. That's the objective. You'll get there. And, um, you know, why are you making this so hard? 
but I can't do it because I don't have that certainty anymore. I can tell you that, that if we do these things, this is probably what will happen. Um, I actually tweeted this morning a conversation I had with somebody else yesterday. They said, how do we know this will work? And I said, you don't. I said, you don't know what it'll work. I said, there's no certainty with demand generation. There's no certainty when you're going your business. I said, certainty is a savings account at the bank. If you put money in a savings account, at least if it's less than $250,000 in an account per account, if you put money in a savings account in a federally chartered bank, you get certainty. You know what else you get? Low return. 1%. 1%. Yep. Probably less than 1%. Right. It is the uncertainty that enables business to be such a high value pursuit. Right. And, and so what data driven is, is realizing that, that um, things are constantly changing. By the way, for those of you that watch baseball and go, why doesn't the batter just bunt to third base? Right. We all ask the question. I know you do. Yep. I do. Here's why. The data says you will score more runs if you try to hit against the shift than if you cheat the shift. Except in certain situations like you're down by one run in the eighth inning and you need one run. Right? Because what the data also says, and this, this again is what being data-driven is, and I, and I had a Twitter debate with somebody about being data-driven, and their response to me was, well, that's too difficult. And I'm like, well, okay. I didn't say that it was easy. I just said, Let's, if you want to call something data-driven, this is what it is. What the data says is if in the second inning, Bryce Harper bunts to third base, with everything else that happens, you know, the, the average runs that that produces early in the game is, is much lower. Because, by the way, the batter after him follows – the normal path of baseball. And, and even if you score that one run, right, because of other things that can happen, that one run being the difference in the game isn't enough to justify doing that. And so if you swing against it, you know, the, the, the likelihood of hitting a single anyways, of hitting a double, hitting a home run produces more more value runs on average than not. Now in the eighth inning, when you're down by one and you got to get a runner on base and you do that, well, the batter after that then bunts you over or does something differently because now what you're doing is we're not playing for, like in the second inning, you're playing for six runs in the eighth inning down by one, you're playing for one run, right? And if you play for one run too early in the game, you give up too many outs all these things come in. Yep. I could bore the crap out of you. You're, you're right. looking for short-term value over long-term right. gain. Right. Yep. And, and, and so all those things come in. So when we look at it and say, it seems so obvious to us. Right. Now, what I can't wait for, this is data. I don't know if this, it would be interesting to see if it worked in the NFL. But it was really cool. There's a, I think it's a high school team. That well, let me, let, me make it, let me make a point on, on the shift for, for folks okay. that, you know, either don't, don't follow baseball. Don't let me forget about high school football. Yeah, I won't in, in as much detail as this. Um, I remember the first time I saw a shift where it was four infielders on the same side of the field, and I was just like, what in the world are they doing? Like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And sure enough, boom, immediate out, ground ball. 
right to where the right to where the gap would have been. Data and, being data driven is is being willing to look dumb. Right. Um. Again, it was eye opening, and then the next thing you know, I'm seeing the shift happen more and more and more and more. Um. In because uh, a bunch of math nerds have have have, have overtaken. Right. Um. I do want to make one more point, but I'll, I'm going to hold it until after you go out on because it, it, it's a it's that being deterministic versus probabilistic uh, or having that mentality. But we'll come back to that. So finish your thought on the high school football. So, so there's a high school football team that never punts, never. Right. If it's fourth and thirty eight on the three yard line, they don't punt. Right. And, and the reason is, and, and, and the coach who was interviewed acknowledged that in that situation, yeah, they're, they're probably, the, the problem is he doesn't have a punter on his team. So it's like, you know, the punt would only get, you know, so many yards. Right. So, so, so what? You know, we, we, you punt the football but by the way, here, here's the interesting thing. The, the likelihood, the probability to value of a pass interference call or if something happening that would create an automatic first down creates more, you know, contributes more to points than going ahead and punting when you're deep in your end zone, even in that situation is, is kind of what they're talking about. And, and at some point in the NFL, they're going to start doing that, right? Some coach, it's, it's just beginning to enter the NFL. The, 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 the real analytics and data driven side of things is just beginning to enter the NFL. And, and those are the types of things that are going to happen, right? I mean, if you go back to the days of Ricky Henderson, going back to baseball, it was cool to steal a hundred bases and everyone thought, Hey, you stole a base. Isn't that awesome? Except what they realized was even somebody who is, who steals a base 75% of the time, which is astronomically it's successful. Crazy. Uh, you know, especially if you steal in volume, right? Even if you're successful, like 75% of the time, the value of getting from first to second is less than the cost of, of being out 25% of the time. And so stolen bases have, have, have dropped precipitously. Um, and, and, you know, the entire situation – and I'm not saying it makes for a more entertaining game. I think it's a, there's a very interesting argument when it comes to baseball because baseball is a game monetarily of entertainment. Um, and I don't know that it's a more entertaining game today as it's more math-driven. But – Baseball is a great example of what it means to be data-driven. Now, I, I remember I told you this because a lot of people get data-driven confused with – actually, I don't think they get it confused with metric or being metric-driven or goal-driven. I think a, a bunch of people have tried to say being goal or metric-driven is being data-driven so that they can say they're data-driven. But I'm a cynic. Being goal-driven really? <laughs> goal in baseball is paying attention to the standings right? It's tracking where you are on the standings. It's, it's, it's making decisions based on, on that or, or acknowledging that that's goal driven. That's metrics. That's, and, and, and they're important, right? You got to know where you are. If you want to get somewhere, you got to know where you are. And, 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 and so there's value there, but that is not being data driven. Being data driven is you drive your, your decisions are driven by and assessed by data and analytics where you're typically looking much deeper. One of the reasons that, that baseball has been able to master this is because they've gone much, much deeper in terms of solving for a specific result 
that, you know, that's beyond that top line, which is why it's such a great analogy for sales and marketing. It is a phen- it's actually a phenomenal analogy. And I think you just coined that analogy. So goal-driven, focused on where we're at, you know, in the standings and. Yeah. Like, so being metric driven is we need to have X visitors or we need to have Y conversion to drive this result. Data driven is what's causing that result. What's the button that we have to push? What's the thing that we have to move? See, I, I talk about this and, and Ellen, let's make sure we put this graphic in, in the show notes. Um, I talk about, you know, the problem is people measure efforts, activities, and they measure results. Um, I, I like to use a word called outcomes. And, and a lot of times people hear outcomes and they think it's the same as results. It might be, but to me, it means something different. An outcome is an influenceable thing. So I, I don't have full control over it, but I do have the, I, I can influence it. Um, and, and it. It, is, it has a causal relationship to the result. Because the end result, winning a baseball game, closing a sale, there's a million things that happen that I have no control over, right? I want to control what I control. I want to I bring the probabilities to my favor. So yep. well, this will be a great opportunity to go to, to, go to um, deterministic versus probabilistic. Um, and, and if I try to get really detailed in marketing and sales, it, it would get confused because we'd be, we'd be talking about numbers that people – super understand if you get sucked into the minutia. So I will tell you about how we managed um, the college baseball team I, I, I coached where, where we had a, you know, 700 plus winning percentage. First year in our school's history, we won 40 plus games. One of the things that we had done um, going back through time, looking at a number of things is we had, we had identified that, you know, basically if we could score six runs, um, we'd, if we could score six runs in a game, we'd win 70% of the games. And, and, and what we knew is in, in various situations that, you know, we would score six ones and lose. Okay. But there'd be other situations where we'd scored three runs and, and would win. Yep. So the target became six, one, six runs was the, we hit six runs. We win 70% of the games. We, we get to where we want to be for the playoffs. Um, and then what we did is we looked and said, okay, well, what do we have to do to be able to get six runs? And, and we, we use a term called positive plate appearances. Um, it's also called productive outs. Positive plate appearances involved other things. So there were seven, um, I'm sorry, I think it was a 13, I forget the exact number. It's been a while since I coached, but there were like 13 scenarios. Uh, you know, get a hit, um, reach base on an error, um, get a pitcher to throw more than eight pitches, advance the lead runner. Um, you know, a number of different situations that, that were called, that, that were dubbed productive plate appearances. And what we realized was if we could get 17 positive plate appearances, 17 PPAs in a game, we would likely score six or more runs and we would likely win. And so what we made very, I mean, we preached to these kids who all they wanted to do was hit home runs. We preached to these kids, PPAs. And I mean, it was crazy. They finally got it. They saw, I mean, we, we would incentivize them. You know how after baseball game coaches like to make the team run, you know, you got to do yeah. something the game we said look in this game if you guys get 20 ppas win or lose 20 ppas or more no running after the game you want to motivate a group of college athletes tell them they're not going to have to run after the game right (laughs) we would be in situations right now this is junior college this is not the most advanced i mean no offense but you know we're not we were we would be in games that literally the 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 
chant at the end of games as we were rallying to come from behind wasn't about get a hit. It was PPAs. I mean, the dugout would literally be on the feet, on, on the fence line, chanting PPA, PPA, because we had embedded in them that focus on getting a positive appearance, a positive plate appearance, everything else takes care of itself. That's what being data-driven was. And by the way, we tested it and retested it and retested it to make sure that it continued to be valid. Um, and that's what enabled us to, to, to be at a recruiting disadvantage um, and, and win 70% of our games, was, was really looking at where are those causal relationships and then letting the data mix with experience, right? I mean, you can get lost where you yeah, get right. stuck into data. Yeah. But, but again, it's about let's, let's maximize the probability of winning and then let, then the, then let life take care of itself. So um, no, and that that's that's also that's an awesome segue into what I was going to say. Um, so I had a very well respected sales leader. Um, what he used to say to me at the beginning of every quarter, uh, especially as we were getting to know one another, but we we always fought. Is he would say, "Well, Mike, this is your quota," and then I would have to disperse that to my team. And then he would say, okay, well, what are you going to do for the quarter? And I would say, well, I'm going to do based on the data that I have and based on some of the things that are, you know, based on the things that I can control. Because why focus on the things you can't control? Focus on the things that you can influence that you can control. I think we can hit about 70% of the numbers. And there's certainly upside to that, but there's also some downside to that. Yep. Well, Mike, that's not good enough. Well, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I, based on what the data is telling me, 70%. And he would use these words that would drive me nuts every single quarter. And I think this happens so much in both sales and marketing. And we don't know what's happening. Mike, tell a lie and try to make it come true. Tell a lie and make it, you know, try to make it come true. So my response was, you hey. want, so you want me to tell you that I'm going to make 100% of my quota? Shoot for the stars. You, you might miss it and land on the moon. Right. You, so what you're telling me, but me being, you know, obviously, you know, my background, a geology degree, the software engineer, I, I, I look at numbers, I look at data, I don't, I, I don't look at, I don't have, you know, these tell a lie and make it, try, to, try to make it come true. I, I try to be very, you know, based on prob probabilities, what do I think I can accomplish? Um, and what, what, what things can I influence to make me successful? Yeah. And all the other stuff is going to take care of itself, whether or not I do anything with it or not. You know what you call somebody who tells a lie and then works really hard to make it come true? <laughs> a salesperson? I don't nope. know. Nope. Well, a liar. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, I, no, it, it, absolutely. I mean, it's like you—you you want to say to him, so you—you you, so do you want me to do you want me to lie to you or do you want me to be stupid? Yeah, I, that's what I would say to him. It's like, do, do you want me to just flat out lie to you? Well, yeah, because you'll you'll try to make it come true. Well, it's like, sure. well, I can't, I can't, I can't do that. It's just not, it, it's not something that I can actually do. I, I can't sit here and lie well, to shit. your face try to make something come true why stop there hey boss well we're gonna hit 120 percent of quota 
<laughs> there you go. Well, look, that's I mean, so, I, and, and he would and he would always say, well, Mike, if you don't do this, executive management, CEO, CFO are going to be on your ass for the whole quarter. You are not going to you're not going to be able to kind of take it easy the first week or two of the new quarter. And you just had a blowout quarter the last one. How long were you at that company? Years. Really? No, it was different. Some of it was different leadership. How long were you there after they started telling you to lie to them? I'm not going to answer that question because then it'll be abundantly clear <laughs> to, to my mom, who I'm talking about, since my mom and your mom are the only listeners. <laughs> All right. Um, so not long. But Well, again, I think it happens more often than not. No, it happens the all the time. Right, it happens all the time, and then we go. I mean, so first off, this is what I say when, when people. Say and then that. we make excuses as to why, didn't, or, or people make excuses as to why it didn't happen. Well, then, 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 um, CSO Insights comes out and says only fifty percent of salespeople hit quota. Yeah, uh, and we go. That, there's a problem with sales today. They can't hit quota. Well, no, there's a problem with with organizations today because they can't set quotas that are hittable. Um. The, what? How would we react if um? if the head of our manufacturing line lied and hoped it came true. I mean, we used yeah. to do that, right? And, and manufacturing put companies out of business, yeah. right? What, what if accounting, what if accounting lied? Absolutely. They did do that, right? That's why we have that's where the, that's where the, the dot-com bust happened was, hey, we're gonna, especially in the tech industry, we're gonna stuff the channel with tens of millions of dollars of equipment and hope that we sell it at the beginning of next quarter so that nobody ever finds out. And then the next thing you know, companies, Sarbanes-Oxley, all of this. You know the difference between a, uh, a mathematician, a computer scientist, and an accountant is? You ask Go them ahead. all what two plus two equals, the mathematician gets on the chalkboard, creates a really complex uh, formula to, to say equals four. Uh, the computer programmer gets on a, uh, you know, quantum computer and, you know, programs billion lines of code, yeah. billion lines of code to put out equals four. The accountant whispers to you and says, what would you like it to equal? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah and, and so, I mean, we, we had a client that, that we wanted us to help them build out the sales development um, process. And, and we said, okay, well, you know, let, 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 let's talk about the targets. And, and they, they gave us their assumptions were that the, that the SDR would produce 50 sales qualified leads a month, literally 50 a month. And yeah. this is like, this is like a brand new product. Doesn't even have pro, you know, product market fit. I'm like 50. What, what, what's the assumption that leads you to think 50? Like, oh, well, well, that's what we need. I'm like client. I'm sorry. The market doesn't care what you need. Right. And, and, and so why, why are, why are we burning our, our funnels? Why? Cause, cause we're not, we're, we're like, I, I, I said it, we're, we're giving people 372 pieces of a 3000 piece puzzle, switching priorities up on them every day, tying one hind behind their back and blindfolding them and then saying, why can't you solve the damn puzzle? Right. And so what, what, what's happening is, is we're asking organizations to meet objectives that, that, that we're not putting the raw material 
in, in four. And then we yell and scream and ran and rave that sales is unpredictable. Salespeople aren't motivated. Salespeople, this salespeople, that, and look, salespeople, Lord knows there is a tremendous amount of, of room for salespeople to be much better than they are, to be much more serious than they are. But part of the problem is, is that when, when you have this, when your manager comes and says, well, just lie to me. Cause you know, if you lie, you might make it come true. Um, it's like, oh, okay, but now I'm supposed to assess an opportunity realistically? It's, it's you know, and, and, and so, yeah. And, and look, I told you, I, all, I, all I have to do is tell this client it's going to produce X result. And I'm like, yeah, well, deal close, but, it, it, but internally, like, I, that's... Well, the, the other thing, too, is I, I don't want to produce X result. I want to produce X result sustainably, right? And yeah. I've never achieved anything. I mean, I've come out of the gate super strong. I've never achieved anything over a long period of time where I didn't hit turbulence, right? And, yep. and, you know, when I was a financial advisor, I wasn't a great financial advisor because I could manage your money when the market was good. I was a great financial advisor because I got you through bad markets, right? And, and as a matter of fact, the toughest time I had was keeping clients in good markets because all their friends yep. were around telling them how much money they made. Well, man, yep. they were laughing when we got through the bad market and their client, you know, their friends lost, you know, they were 98%, up 98% in one year and down 99% the next. Yep. Right. Um, and, and, you know, and, and those are the things that lead to us, you know, there. I mean, though, here's the problem with being data driven. You know what the problem with being data driven is? You can't. Well, you can, but it's a lot harder to lie. Right. Um, and look, I get it. I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a sales guy. Sometimes I want to lie to myself. I'm a, I firmly believe if I don't know it's, you know, if I don't know that it's not the truth, then I'm not lying. Right. Yeah. So, so don't tell me, don't tell me because at least I'll think things are good. <laughs> I had another sales manager tell me one of the funniest stories. He was sitting in front of the CTO of this one very, very large company. And the CTO is just coming down his street, screaming at him. You lied to me. You told me this, this is bullshit. And after the guy ranted, he goes, man, I don't know what to tell you other than the truth changed. Like The truth changed. The truth changed. There you go. I like that. I'm going to use that. <laughs> and the CPO literally fell back in his seat and started smiling. He said, did you really just say the truth changed? Like, and he's like, yeah, it did. Alternative facts, baby. Yeah. So did you want to ask me something about deterministic and probabilistic? Uh, well, no, I, I was kind of using it as the, you know, personality that, that I have that, you know, some. So, so again, so it, the beautiful thing about being data driven, and it's, and it, I, again, I learned this, I had the opportunity to learn this as a financial advisor. Um, cause if you think about it, if you're involved on growth, your, your job is to predict the future. Right, you manage the future. Sales, marketing, um, strategy, vision, it's all about the future. Accounting is about managing the past, by and large. Manufacturing is about managing the past, by and large. Sales, marketing, it's really about managing the future. Um, and, it, and therefore, it's about predicting the future. And we suck at predicting the future. We're yep really bad at predicting the future. As a matter of fact, one of, the, one of my favorite things to learn was the number one indicator that the stock market was going was gonna to recede, was, was, was going to go into a bear market, was when confidence among investors got above a certain percentage because they are always wrong. 
right? Uh, when, when 19 out of 20 named economists predict X is going to happen next year, it's a pretty good bet that the opposite is going to happen, right? Because we're just bad at predicting the future. And, and by the way, even when we predict it correctly, the reason that, that it happened the reason is- we predicted, right, is, is, is right. not the reason that we predicted, exactly. And, and so what you realize is you can't predict the future, right? So, because it's, I mean, it's chaos. I mean, it's, it's the epitome of chaos theory. I feel like we got to get Matt Hines back on so we can have a physics, science, and chaos theory conversation. Um, and, and that's scary to a lot of people. Except that what you realize is once you, once you understand that one of your inputs is we have no idea, that's now actually a controllable input. We can, we can plan for that, which is really what being agile is all about. Being agile is all about realizing that we can control what we can control. We can't control what we can't control. Let's make sure that we, that we control what we can in, in bursts and in intervals that then allow shifting marketplaces, situations, conditions, and put us in a position where we can constantly address without breaking the, the, you know, the, the fundamental fabric. And, and, and data you know, ultimately drives that. And so the, the, you know, the, the, the challenge is you, you, you've got to spend the time and, and you really have to think about your business. We had this conversation um, last week, just you and me offhand, and, and I get frustrated about it as well. And I get even more frustrated because I help companies do it all the time. Um, you know, if you haven't done a what causes sales analysis, you're not data driven. Right? You're not. Right? And, and I mean a real what causes sales analysis because I guarantee you your first five assumptions at best correlate with success. Yeah. Right? Um, and, and so what ends up happening is we become metric driven. Right. And being metric driven is really, really dangerous. It is a slippery, slippery, slippery slope. Because you know what being metric driven creates? It creates false, false, false senses of, of certainty. I'm going to tell you this. If you want to be happy, be metric driven. If you want to scale a business, be data driven. But being data-driven is not a condition that, that creates happiness. It's not fun. No, it, 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 it is not. It's, Be, it's complex. It's dirty. It well, doesn't and, always give you the answer. It, it, most of the time, it doesn't give you the answer that you're looking for. It never gives uh, you the answer you're looking yeah, for. Right. It's, most of the time, the answer that you get is counterintuitive to everything you had ever thought. Well, and so you question, 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 question. You, it, it's counterintuitive, but, but by the way, what it never does is it never creates certainty. Early in my, right. um, so I owned, a, I owned a family business. We sold the business. Um, it, was, it was in the travel industry. Travel industry kind of blew up um, for a whole bunch of reasons, commission caps, et cetera. We got bought by this other company. They, they wanted us to uh, put together a plan of what would we need to do to, to expand the business. So I put together a plan and I, it's kind of funny because I think like the total cost of the plan was like 250 grand. Um, and I remember thinking, Oh my God, I'm going to tell these guys they have to spend 250 grand. Um, now I'm like 250 grand. Holy cow. Um, and, and so I presented the plan and, and they said to me, 
Okay, cool. That's really good. You, you did a really good job. Um, let us let us talk about it. We'll, I'm sure we'll come back to questions, but but you really gave us what we wanted and more. We feel really good about it. I said, you know, you guys didn't ask a question that I thought you were going to ask. Like, what's the question? I said, you didn't ask me what's the probability of it working. They're like, what do you mean? I said, I said, look, we could do all of this. And that doesn't mean that we're going to hit these targets. What I'm saying is that to hit these targets, to have a chance of hitting these targets, we have to do all of these things. And, and they said, well, okay, Doug, what's the probability of this working? And I said, I would, I said, I don't want to be too pessimistic. I would give it a one in four chance of being successful. They looked at me like I was crazy. And they said, you're asking us to spend our money on a one in four chance of being successful. When, when we could deploy our money in this other business that they had, that, that was literally a cash cow, you know, it, it, it had good returns, not superhuman returns, not venture type returns, right? But, but good returns. But you want us to do that? You, you want us to put our money in that? I said, I, I never said that. Like you just asked us to. I said, no. I said, you asked me to put together a plan of what would need to happen to achieve this target, right? And I put together that plan, right? And this is what we have to do to have a chance. It's a one in four chance. And, and just so we're clear, if it was my money, I wouldn't put it in here. And what they said to me was, you know what, Doug? No one's ever been that honest with us before. We really appreciate it. We're not going to do it. I said, yeah, I get it. And, and then they had an individual conversation with me. And they're like, because I had a three-year employment contract. They're like, Doug, if you want to do something else in the company, let us know. You'll, we'll give you a, a shot, anything that, you know, you want to take sales and something else. Um, if you want to continue to just support, we're cool with, with that. And, and by the way, if you find anything else you want to do and you want out of your contract, you know, we're happy to do that as well. And I mean, it was a, it was totally amicable. They actually gave me for, for five, six years later, they gave me glowing, um, you know, glowing recommendations to people. My brother and I talk about this all the time, you know, in terms of, you know, like that's the story. And it's, and, and we, we miss that because we say, will this work? Won't this work? And, and we get all stuck in and we end up, we end up tracing, chasing vanity metrics. Yeah we throw things in and, and, and so being data driven requires you to, to really model your business. And it's totally cool to be wrong because that's how you learn. And, and then really, you know, you've got to see, if you're not setting hypotheses every month, every quarter, then you're not data driven. If you're not trying to break the very machine you just built, you're not being data driven. Right. That I think is, a, that, that's an, that is an, that is a point everybody I think needs to hear. If you're not breaking the thing that you just put together, you're not data driven. Why is Google so successful? Oh, because they, I mean, why is Facebook so successful? They just break things, try new things, pivot, they run try, a, new, try new things. They run I have a thousand experiments. They run yeah. a thousand experiments. Yep. Right. Um, and look, I get it. And look, I can't run a thousand experiences. Right. That is why some startups actually, you look at the startups that have been successful. Most of them did not start out to do what they meant to do. By the way, that's they, a big thing. They oh, have, you just said a huge thing. They have pivoted significant amount based on, they had a hypothesis here. We changed. We, that didn't work. We had a hypothesis here. Okay. That didn't work. We have a hypothesis here. That works. Boom. 
let's go let's go after them. But one of the fundamental problems is they believe they have traction, get a bunch of money from VC, and they keep going down the wrong street. Actually, I got something better for you. Ellen, give us another hour. Um, they, they hit a point of, of critical mass by accident. It was not what yep. they intended. It happened. They go, oh, my God, wow, look at what happened. We can build our business there. And they think that what happened by accident, now they're going to take the same flawed concept and, and apply that certainty there. The ones that are successful, the ones that, 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 that raise money, I'm, I'm curious what you think about this as, as we're winding down, because I tweeted this. I don't think you saw it, because I, I, I figured you would have commented on it. I said, and I have no actual research to back this up, but I got a pretty good sense. It's probably pretty accurate. I said, of companies that raise more than a million dollars, Roughly 95% of them will fail outright to get sold, but they'll get sold at a value that, that founders get nothing from the sale. Yep. Okay. Roughly 4.8% will, will get a splashy headline, will, will achieve some market level. They'll, they'll either, you know, chug along for a period, you know, for, for a long period of time. Um, they'll get sold. Founders make some money. It doesn't generate real wealth, but, you know, they get some money. Maybe they get, you know, sometimes it's they get a, a kick-ass job because the company right. buys, them, right. buys right. the talent and puts them in a position where they actually get paid for what their talent was. And yep. they make their money that way and, and, and through, the you know, ultimately the stock of the company that bought them, right? But, but again, not from their company. And then roughly 0.2% actually create real wealth for the founders. I would... 0.2% seems even high to me. Okay. If you think about real well. But so, so yeah. I was being an optimist. And it's, yeah, it's, it's actually, VC has gotten, to, and again, this is a subject for a different day, but since you brought it up, I was just reading a, an incredible article about why there's a, a market crash is, is, is absolutely 100% huh. on the horizon. And I mean, we talk about that. We, we know that. Um, but what one of the things that they were saying is something like 70% of unicorns. And for those of you that are listening, mom, um, a unicorn is referred to as a, as a privately held company that's worth more than a billion dollars. So a startup that's worth more than a billion dollars, uh, like something like 70% of unicorns are, have a have a valuation that's fifty percent higher than what the valuation should really be. Huh. That's like scary. Yeah. Well, the reason why the VCs can absorb an additional fifty percent valuation is because they have all of the um, all of the terms are in their favor. They have preferential treatment with Whoa. the sale. Right. Or if the company goes public, you've got ratcheting clauses, you know, all of these well, things that make the VCs rich. Well, the, so, so here, I mean, like, here's the problem if you use private funding to, to, to justify valuation. It's, it's literally like taking the very last ah, rate of a stock to, to, to value. I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but like, so if I buy, you know, 10% of the company for a million dollars, I'm giving you a $10 million valuation. Yeah. Right. 
That does not mean you could get $10 million if you sold your company. Correct. Right. As a matter of fact, you probably wouldn't get much more than a million dollars if you sold your company. And so people don't understand that valuation and value are not the same thing. Right. Valuation is using the last edge to decide what the entire piece is. Right. And by the way, that billion dollar valuation, well, that has money in there from when they had a $2 million valuation. Right. Yep. And so it's not like, it's not like, you know, Uber has what an $8 billion valuation or something stupid. Oh, like no, that. it's 50 billion. Okay, fine. 50 billion. Equally stupid. Right. Once you yeah. get above a billion dollars. Lost like $3 billion last so we're, year. We're, it's like, a rounding. Straight up lost three, $3 billion. Like crazy. But, but it's not like there's $50 billion that's been put into Uber. Uh, well, there's been. I don't know. I'm just I, I don't know the exact amount. amount. Probably 15 to 17 okay. billion. But, 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 I, but I'm just saying that, that, that there's that. There's that place where, 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 where people get lost in it. So my, my point about that, circling it back to being data-driven is go out and raise your money. Like I love it when you raise money. I think it's amazing and awesome when you raise money. But when you, the, like the worst thing you can do is raise money and be certain. Yeah. Right? That's what kills you. Raise money and test and test and be data-driven and being data-driven means you're always looking at the next assumption. Where am I wrong? Where am I wrong? Where's this thing? I'm managing probabilities. And that means I'm going to, I'm going to allocate my money in the same fashion. I will leave with this last thought. I still, to this day, do not understand how owners of companies come back and say, well, I have to spend the money on this because my board is telling me to do it. And I'm like, you own 72% of the company. You have three of the five board seats. Right? Why are you, you know, build the case, build the data and drive the business. And and again, that's what being data driven is about. Being data driven about being data driven is hard. But I will tell you, once once you have the, the base built, it, life, life does get a lot easier. You're still like totally stressed all the time. So it's not a happy existence, but but <laughs> but it's a good existence. So next that's time a great you want to yep. Next time you want to know what data-driven is, watch baseball game and you will see data, real data-driven behaviors operating at scale. Boom! <laughs>